Hello, and welcome to Danley and Friends. I'm your host, Ryan Danley. On this podcast, I seek to spread joy by connecting you with my friends and other people who are doing positive things in their community and in the world at large. I also seek to spread connection through encouraging open dialogue, having difficult conversations, and exploring new ideas and concepts. My next guest has been my homie for years, since the college days. We actually bonded over music the first time we started hanging out, and music has been a huge part of our relationship. When I first met the homie Ben Thomas, he was going by the name DJ Threat. I was really interested in the way Ben was moving because he was so tuned in to the music scene in a way that people weren't at the time. Dude had a DJ setup and was rocking parties at Butler like way before the EDM scene came to the US. And so it was interesting to see because this was before DJ controllers got popular. Dude actually had turntables and a mixer. And it was also interesting because at this private university at Butler with 4,400 students, here is this white dude from the suburbs that loves rap music and is all about it. And it was authentic, and we connected over that. But Ben took it to the next level. Him and one of his homies started a blog, and this led to cool opportunities of them interviewing different rappers, the likes of Wiz Khalifa and Big Sean, like right before they blew up. It was crazy. Now my dude goes by the name of DJ Nicholas Rage. In this episode, we talk about music, we talk about the opportunities that have allowed Ben to evolve into the artist and DJ that he is today, and how opportunity itself tends to favor those who are willing to put themselves out there and make connections. Enjoy the show. Dan Lee and Nick Rage. <laughs> What's good, Ben? How are you, man? You my boy from back in the day. You know, we've been kicking it for years, man. If I had to give your intro, I could go into so many different facets of who you are. I've known you through a couple of DJ names and stuff like that. Nicholas Ray, you're so crazy. Ooh, me and Nick make the place get down. Ray got the money doing backflips now. Uh, you know, just coming up through the years. But uh, if you had to give your elevator pitch, bro, who's Ben Thomas? Oh, Ben Thomas, DJ producer, uh, nine to five tech sales guy, a uh, loyal friend. I mean, you and I have been boys for a long time, and we've been blessed with a, a really solid, uh, solid network over the years. And uh, you know, for me, uh, I, I really, you know, come into my lane as a producer when the pandemic hit, and you know, I really just wanted to force myself, you know, like to finished beats and you remember me back in the day i'll just never finish anything i had some decent ideas but i'll never wrap anything up but uh yeah it's been it's been rewarding to you know see that take off a little bit and uh it's staying staying busy man i tell people all the time like uh and in a pandemic a lot of people are doing less you're doing more man you got like the podcast you got um you know the how drip stuff and uh yeah, I'm happy for you, man. You're you're an inspiration, and like the you, the attitude that you've had behind this whole thing, like it it would it would really really be uh, tough for me to be in that position because I just feel sorry for myself every day. I'd be crying, uh, crying all the time, probably twenty four seven. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you you got a hell of a wife too, so that that definitely you know makes all the difference. For sure, man. I, I definitely appreciate that, bro. And uh, I mean, I did have those days, man. You know, I. I cried through the entire series of Game of Thrones, you know, <laughs> trying to like, you know, get myself to cheer up and like watch that shit and stuff. And so that was wild. Yeah. But hey, man, I want to talk about DJing, bro. Like, 
you you were DJing like way before everybody that I know, you know, got into the game before like DJ controllers got popular and before the EDM wave like really hit the US big. So, you know, tell me about how you got into it. Yeah, well, like I'm a competitive guy and, you know, you and I, I think have been blessed with, you know, a little bit of swag and charisma. We were never really blessed with height. I didn't quite hit that growth spurt that I was hoping for. But uh, my buddy and I quit the basketball team in junior high. And this was around the time that like Lil John really got hot. So digital wasn't a thing yet. And he like bought these turntables because he was really in a rat. And so we went down to this, uh, this place in, in Broderpool, in the Broderpool district in Indianapolis. It was this little like a rainbow house and it was called Missing Link. And so we would uh, pick up, you know, all, like all the little John records that he produced, like whether it be for Ying Yang or Mike Jones or whoever, um, you know, they had green, green covers. So we would go after those, we'd get those. And uh, I think a lot of like the Jay-Z singles too, because the blueprint had just come out. and the packaging was very cool on that. Like it was like an actual blue vinyl record. Um, I think like one side had like, you don't know on it. It was like my favorite Jay-Z song. And then the other side, I believe, I believe had Izzo on it. So that was, that was a cool pickup. But at the time it was like such a pain in the ass. Cause we were lugging these big turntables around. We we're lugging an amp around. And on top of that, we we're lugging creative records. And now, you know, everything's digital, you know, with Serato, it's funny. I got my first controller. Uh, a couple of days ago and I've been using it and it's just so compact and I love turntables. I love the feel of turntables, but being able to travel with that, I've got some New York gigs coming up. I've got, you know, a gig in Chicago coming up this next summer. Like it's just way easier to travel with that. And uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, the littlest piece of lint following on your, your needle and, you know, making everything skip and, and screwing up the transition for you. So. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And so, I mean, that has to be like a totally different feel, bro. So, you know, tell me about how that transition has been. Like, what are some of the key differences? Uh, the key differences is like the sensitivity of the tempo sliders. Like that took me like a little bit to, to master, but I feel like any idea I want to put in place live, I can do it. It's easier to loop. Like you can loop on the fly. I'm playing this, uh, this Wednesday night party with my buddy Slater Hogan uh, here in Indianapolis. And, for anyone that knows Slater, he's like a house music legend. He traveled the world there for a while. Uh, he went to to Butler. You know, he was opening for like Crystal Method and and London, and and you would never know that by talking to him. He's a really humble dude. But what's cool about this party is, you know, kind of back to the you know Jay Z Blueprint days. Um, it's all it's on a Wednesday night, and it's all like throwback hip hop, but it's called like Chipmunk Soul. So it's like all the old Kanye records that really sampled, you know, soul records. And, you know, we're playing those records too, but then we're also playing, you know, Izzo, we're playing, you know, Cameron, Dead or, Dead or Alive, Down and Out. And it's been really fun because I've never had uh, a format just like that. And it really forces you to, to get creative. So. Yeah, bro. Hey, talk about that creative process a little bit. Cause I know as a DJ, you really have to know so many different types of music. You have to know what might sound good together. What's going to make, you know, the crowd jump and you have to be able to read the crowd, you know, like talk yeah. to me about uh, what it's like to get in your creative zone when you're a DJ. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's kind of like riding a bike for me at this point. I've been doing this for, I don't know, like 11 years now. It's been a, it's been a long time, but there's like no better practice than a four hour gig, right? I don't really practice at the house. I'll run through a few ideas, but um, it really forces you to read the room and just, you know, dial your transitions in if you, you do it enough. 
So I think with this gig, it's interesting because uh, you're not playing for a dance floor, but like people are definitely like bopping around and, and dancing. Uh, but it's a, it's a little more laid back. So I'm playing like James Brown records too, like Al Green. It's fun, man. Uh, it's 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 really taken off, you know, especially for a Wednesday night. It's it's a challenge to get people out in indie, but it helps. It's like at this speakeasy that has good cocktails too, and it's like a really mixed crowd, which makes it fun. That's dope, bro. That's real tight. And I know, uh, you know, indie's not really like known for music that much. You know what I mean? But low nope. key has some dope DJs. You know, so like, how did you link with Slater, and how did you? you know, kind of get into this community. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, he's a family friend of uh, one of my dad's friends. It's funny because like my dad likes music, but if I take him to a concert, like he's more excited to flex it to like his coworkers that he went than to actually experience it. <laughs> so yeah, Slater and I linked up way back in, um, way back in the day. We just had beers in Broderpool. He's like, oh, I'm playing this show at the Vogue tonight. Come out. And it was like him and uh, this DJ Marcus Johnson uh, here in Indianapolis. They did a night together and they would just kind of battle back and forth. And it was fun. And uh, the end of his set, he just like took off his headphones and like Gronk spiked him into the stage. It's like, oh, OK, I want to do this shit. And, you know, he and I have played some wild parties over the years downtown, uh, you know, especially Blue. Um, yeah, I mean, just some of those have, you know, really taken off but yeah you're right and i think what's funny about indie too is it's not a rap market but you hear a lot of rap like when you go out right so uh you know you and i were at that jay-z show that that became pretty historic because it's the last time that he's been here and that was right after the blueprint three came out 10 years ago like yeah i think uh i think i still flex that i had better seats than kevin durant and he was like on his phone the whole time too because the uh the thunder were in town playing the pacers that week and uh, yeah, I know you were there and, and had a ball. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's too bad, man. A lot of, a lot of like the big rap artists don't take indie seriously. Drake's on that list too. He hasn't played here in a, a really long time. But um, yeah, it's, it's tough. Like, because when, when Kanye played here right after, uh, right after late registration came out, he was on fire. I mean, Gold Digger is one of the biggest rap singles ever. Uh, and he goes and plays the state fair here in Indy and there were like 2,500 people there. And like, I was there and you could tell he was kind of pissed. He was like screaming at the DJ cause like a track was sick and he had to find a replacement DJ and the DJ kept screwing up. Um, but it was phenomenal. I mean, he had like a 10 piece orchestra and yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's interesting because it was the same thing with Jay-Z where, you know, he played an outdoor show here right after the blueprint came out. Nobody went. Um, outdoor rap just doesn't do well here. Indoor rap does pretty well though. So like Future uh, sold his last show out here, I think. And then um, Jay-Z sold his last indoor show out here, but just hasn't been back since. But yeah, I mean, long story short, man, uh, it's been, uh, it's been fun. And I think like indie over the years has become more accepting of like different genres of music, especially with EDM blowing up. So yeah, man, I feel like uh, the Snake Pit like had a lot to do with that. Like when it came back, um, you know, you had some pretty big EDM artists playing the Indy 500. Like that shit was so dope because you don't really get that, man. And yeah, you're exactly right, man. It's a one of one event uh, every year. Um, and it's funny, I, I ran into Afrojack at the win. I ran into him at the win lobby when I was out there for a bachelor party. And 
I was like, yo, do you remember that that Indy 500 snake pit that you played back in, in 2013? He's like, yeah, like you Indiana guys are crazy. Like there are people raging in the crowd at like 1030, like when Diplo was on and then he went on, um, like I think right at the start of the race, probably around noon. And yeah, it was, yeah, he was like complaining about how he was on like three hours of sleep from Vegas, even though he was making like a crazy check for, for that show. But yeah, that was like, that year was the turning point back in 2013. And I played the silent disco that year. So like I got to meet Diplo, which is cool. And, you know, really just to kind of see how that's taken off uh, has been sick. But like a standalone EDM show can't do those type of numbers here because they pull from all the fans that are already going to the race anyway and want to go to the race. And they've really capitalized on that. So, yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And it's just like, a day of straight debauchery, like you know, wake up yeah, at 4 a.m. and it's just insane, man. <laughs> yeah, I went. Um, the last time I went, uh, there was like this new tent, and I was like, Oh, is this like VIP tent? No, it's like everybody passed out. It's like the medical tent, but they're like hydrated people that you know, uh, you know, part partook into you know, apparently too many party favors, but yeah, they've had some insane lineups over the years. Uh, the, the one was like, uh, it might be the I think it was the most recent one was like Dead Mouse. Uh, and then your boys like in Grosso and, and Axwell and like Dead Mouse's equipment overheated, like Axwell and Grosso, I think they're like three or four hours late. So they played like at the at the very end. But it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a spectacle for sure, man. I saw Marshmallow there and Ric Flair was supposed to introduce him, but Ric Flair was so hung over. Like, I think he was still asleep in his hotel room. So he like came back later uh, i think in the middle of marsh marshmallow set if i remember correctly but it's pretty wild it's crazy man it's always like so much fun and i have to imagine you know playing that venue is probably you know a one-of-one -one experience like you said a dope thing like you said because you don't get anything like it talk to me about like some of the other things you've done man because i know you, you said you have gigs coming up in new york i know yeah. you played in chicago uh, i know you played top golf i know you, you played everywhere dog like yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been picking up and, you know, I'm thankful for Slater for, you know, giving me so many opportunities this year, especially in a pandemic. And, um, you know, I love playing his bar patron saint because it's, it's just very house centric and house focused, but you can play whatever you want. Like I can play, I can play like a dirty bird, like deep house track. And then like, I can, I can mix in like money bag, yo, if I wanted to, you know, like it's, it's just that kind of place. But, um, I think like one of my favorite gigs I've played here, um, my buddy Spencer Hooks, who we went to Butler with, uh, he hit me up. He's like, yo, like Egyptian Room needs a, a DJ to open for like this R&B show tonight. And it's this dude called Somo is like pretty popping on the underground. And there were like over a thousand people there. And it was just it was surreal to play it because like Kanye has played on that stage. 50 Cent's played on that stage. Like so many great artists over the years. And it's just like a very historic room. Uh, and like there was so much pressure. But like to deliver and like feel good about it afterwards was just like really rewarding. Uh, that was that was great. And yeah, I mean, I, I was lucky in college too. Like I was able to meet um, some cool artists on the way up, you know, in the, the mixtape game, you know, was really big in rap. It's not so much anymore. You know, it's all about hot singles and, and TikTok and, you know, what's going to pop on, on TikTok. But it's all it's always changing. So. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Like speaking of legendary rooms, legendary artists, man, I know you got the uh, mix it up, you know, knock elbows with with some legends and some dudes, you know, that came up and made it big time. And like you were on the blog scene before the blog scene was kind of a thing, you know, it was just kind of coming up. Like talk about that, man. 
Like, how'd you get yeah, into that? It was, so it was interesting. Uh, there was a kid from my hometown and he and I would just kind of like keep in touch, like listening to different music and, you know, lo- like just loving like mixtape rap. And um, this was like right around the time that like uh, Wiz Khalifa dropped Burn After Rolling in flight school. This was right around the time that Big Sean Finally Famous was out. And uh, we just had, we had an idea one day. I saw Wiz was playing, um, Wiz was playing in Cincinnati uh, to support uh, Deal or No Deal, which is like his first, technically his first album. Uh, and we hit his uh, manager up, who's a uh, Penn State alum. And we're like, hey, like, do you think maybe we could get a couple of tickets to the show to review it? And he's like, do you want to interview him? We're like, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. So I took my my buddy Ryan Sandy. This was like a couple of days before. So I didn't have time to get like a legit, legit camera. Um, I took my buddy Ryan Sandy with me. I had this like little Canon Elf. And um, we uh, we were feeling no pain during the show. That's for sure. And then uh, I give uh, Will a call. He's like, go to the front of the stage. And there's this. This guy, he's like 6'8", probably like 300 pounds. He's just jacked. You could tell it's his bodyguard. His name's Brizo. <clears throat> and he picks me up by the shoulders, and he places me on the stage. He's like, all right, come with us. I was like, holy shit. Like, he could have thrown me off the back of the stage if I wanted to. So we go back, and he opens the door, and, like, out pops a cloud of smoke. It's Wiz. It's you God from um, Wu-Tang Clan, and it's High Tech from Cincinnati, who's just, like, a legendary producer. Like, he did... Come down for Anderson Pack. It's like one of my favorite songs of all time. So it's one just of the like, best wow. joints ever, bro. Yeah, Pretty cool. Yeah, and so so you got falls asleep, and then like Wiz rolls up a joint that's probably like it's probably like the size of like King Kong's middle finger. Like it was insane. And so that's going around, and I'm getting like contact, and uh, it affected like the interview for sure. But it was a good conversation because he like. Uh, touched on how Mac Miller, you know, is about to blow up. And he predicted that and he kind of put Mac Miller on early. And he was basically foreshadowing like his ascent too. Cause he's like, oh, I'm about to drop this mixtape, Christian Orange Juice. Well, Christian Orange Juice became one of the biggest mixtapes of all time and still, still probably my favorite. Uh, the beats were just really, really good. I, I know you got into that for a while and it's just a, it's a solid tape. And Big Sean, kind of the same way. I, I made friends with the promoter who was um, booking him for Toledo, and we made the drive. And, yeah, same thing. I connected with Big Sean's manager, who's also um, Nas's old manager, actually. And uh, he's like, yeah, I mean, feel free to meet up with him backstage. And it was sort of an interesting scene because it's like this dark back room, and there are, like, 30 groupies that are just kind of waiting for him, like, as he's doing, like, this interview with, like, this weird uh, white guy from. Indianapolis, but uh, he's one of the nicest people you ever meet in your life. Uh, I remember our second interview um, at another time, the video crew like wasn't recording it. So we did like 15 minutes of an interview and the, the camera guy was like, yo, like this didn't record. We got to do it again. And like he, he could have just been like, fuck no. But yeah, he, he went with it. And uh, it was it was cool, man. We've had some good conversations and just, just to see his ascent, too, because like I I was around those guys before they were who they are now, you know? So they weren't superstars. Like, he had just dropped my last with Chris Brown. And I booked him on a two-city college tour. And the first night was at University of Michigan. That was a special show for me because my dad's a UM alum and I like Ann Arbor. And then the next night, 
was University of Dayton at this like crazy bar called Tim's. But the crazier night of the two was the Ann Arbor show because it was sold out and sold out like way past capacity. And it was almost dangerous. You had like chicks from Detroit, like climbing up on speakers, trying to touch him. It was like, it was pretty chaotic. And we had to like rush him out the back. And then we went back to get like the other van or whatever. And then these girls are just like following us around, following us around because they think he's in the in the car with us. And it's like a, a whole thing. But yeah, that was uh, definitely an interesting time, man. Bro, that that's wild, man. That just seems like some TV type shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, it was crazy, man. I, I wish it would have happened now, though, versus when I was in school, because there were just so many moving pieces and I was like so focused on that and I wasn't as focused on school as I should have been. But luckily everything worked out. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping for a, a solid bounce back for live music. Um, not, not this summer, but next summer, I think things will be back to normal and, and that'll be great. Cause I know everybody's just waiting on that moment to like be communal again and be around people. And that's really the magic of live music. Hey, straight up, man. Like I cannot wait for the day that we can, like be outside and it not be such a thing to like have to worry about precautions and stuff, bro. So you know, talk to me about, you know, your future. You said you had uh, shows coming up in New York, shows coming up, um, you know, all over. So, you know, what, what's it looking like for you and what do you want to do with DJ? I just want to, I want to leverage like production a little bit more um, and see where, see where I can take it. It's tough to produce out of indie. Uh, it's, it's not as easy to do, you know, like, whether you would be in like New York or LA, especially in LA, because like that's where the majority of these EDM cats are really taken off. Like, you know, Dylan Francis, Skrillex, uh, and you know, all, a lot of the others. And then, you know, obviously you have a lot of European guys in the mix, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, starting out as a, a hip hop DJ before EDM really took off to just kind of see like what a big thing, like DJ culture has become and, Everybody has like their own like connotation of it too. It's like that, you know, Portlandia, Portlandia episode where it's like, yeah, like come to my DJ night and everybody's a DJ. And it's kind of how it is, man. I, it's been a long time since I've played where somebody hasn't come up. It's like, oh, like I'm a DJ too. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's dope, man. That's yeah. I love it. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just an interesting time right now. Cause a lot of these cats too have had to pivot in ways they can earn money. Like, I work for Salesforce and I'll see, you know, like a, a DJ pop up and all they're playing like one of our virtual events. And the really funny one though, is like Chance the Rapper played our virtual Christmas party. And I was like, I need to see what this looks like. And you could tell it's just like, it's at like some soundstage in LA or something. And he opens the show. He's like, Salesforce, I hope you're having a lit and responsible evening. My God is the greatest. And then he just like gets into like his like songs and stuff. And is like, this is so weird. This is just really strange. But it was, it was good. He's a good performer. That's what's up, man. Yeah, I know the, the digital thing for me has been interesting, seeing how people have like really like come into uh, themselves if, you know, they take their art form far enough. But it's been weird to see how trippy people get with some of like the visuals they do or just the ways that they try to take it. Cause yeah. some people are yeah, just Arl weird. Had a, I'm a huge Arl Grime fan like you are. And he had a really cool live stream uh, when he was dropping his Halloween mixtape. And what's kind of nice too, is like, that's how you stay front of mind with your following if you're doing that. And like, I did it on, uh, I was calling it couch party. I did it on Instagram live a couple weekend, a couple weeks in a row. And the first one got a really good turnout. And the second one, not so much, but um, 
there's this kid that used to live in Indy. His name's Jason Rosales, and he's down in Miami now. And he just, he just gets super wild. And he 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 tapped into my IG live, and he was uh, setting a sparkler off like in a champagne bottle, like in his garage, like treating it like the club. It was just like really funny. But El Tigre, <laughs> yeah, El Tigre, yeah. So to see uh, to see what like Carl Grimes doing, and like I think like if there is a silver lining of the pandemic when it comes to music, it it has been kind of cool to see people get creative and reach their audiences in a different way and make money in a different way, man. Like Cameo is huge, you know that that website where you're paying you know fifty dollars plus to get shout outs, you know, for your friends or family from celebrities. Like the guy from The Office, Kevin, he made a million dollars off Cameo uh, this last year just doing those. Wow. That's ridiculous. I think the internet has really opened up a lot of avenues for people to make money if they can really get creative with it, man. And yeah. I mean, you're seeing so many people like, I mean, 22, 17 years old, yeah. just becoming millionaires overnight. And it's, it's wild. And uh, I'm trying to get to it too, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've got a lot of things going on. It's been, uh, it's been cool too. I've started to collect like music memorabilia. So I have like a signed, weekend cd that i got for 40 bucks because he was selling it on his website for 40 bucks i have a signed miguel album that came with concert tickets that i bought you know a couple of summers ago and a signed uh signed future album that was like 40 bucks and uh they're willing to to do that to give fans like a more personalized experience but especially they're they're willing to do that more now because their source of income the majority of the time if they're not a huge colossal artist like a dua lipa the majority of the money that they're making is on the road. So yeah. they're taking a huge hit. The concert industry is in a $7 billion hole right now. And I mean, whereas like Future used to be making, you know, 250K a night. Well, he's, he's not making that now. Like you can go host clubs in Atlanta and stuff now. It's starting to open up. But who I really feel bad for, though, is like Jack Harlow, because he had the biggest song in the world with What's Poppin'. And that was his, like, I've made it moment, right? And he can't tour to support it. He set up a tour, but, you know, COVID hit. And he was really going to hit, like, college campuses, do IU, do, um, you know, college campuses uh, up and down the East Coast as well. But he didn't have that opportunity. But he's still doing his thing. Like, he did a really cool NPR Tiny Desk to support his new album. The album's really good. And um, he he's always like he's always put on for indie a little bit too like he's he's name dropped indie in a couple of interviews because you know it's so close to louisville where he's from and you know it's tough to to make it uh from louisville but you know of course he wound up moving to atlanta and you know the rest is is kind of history yeah bro uh i've been impressed with what he's done lately i know you you were on him early actually man telling me about him and uh his new joint with big sean actually is dope uh, the joint he did with Chris Brown. I know people have feelings about Chris Brown, but, yep. but you know, separate the art from the artist type of thing. That's just yep. dope. Um, yeah, he really, he really did something, man. He had a moment. Yeah. Well, so like Josh Baker, who's a huge concert promoter here and owns this, this club in Indy called the Hi-Fi. He was on him before anyone. Like he had Jack Harlow coming to do shows at the Hi-Fi. There, there would probably be, you know, 40, 50 people there. And then like I saw him Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, at the hi-fi, there were probably a couple hundred, but it's not going to be like that when concerts come back. He's going to be playing like big rooms. So it's cool to get those opportunities to see those artists early on um, because, you know, once once they blow up, they're gone, man. And like singles are everything in this city. Like Wiz Khalifa was playing this, this spot called the Living Room Lounge downtown in front of 
probably 25 people. And then his next show was in front of 2000 people each night at the Egyptian room. You and I went to that show because like black and yellow had just dropped and like everybody gravita- gravitates towards the singles. And that's how, you know, a lot of these artists get found out. So, yeah, man. So how do you like discover these guys? Cause I know you listen to a lot of music. You just have to, by the nature of what you do, like, what do you look for when you're finding these people? Cause if I remember correctly, you even found Ed Sheeran, you know, early before he blew yeah, in well, the United from, States. Yeah. That was through, uh, my British roommate Ross, he was just obsessed with him. He was, he was telling me about him like years before um, he popped. And uh, I was like, yeah, like maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe. And then he's just colossal now. But um, no, I, yeah, I found out about Harlow through Josh Baker because I saw Harlow was on a lineup. So I was checking out some of his music. Um, Big Sean, you know, I was just, I really found out through the Kanye connection and like his story about how he went to the the radio station to rap for Kanye and then he eventually signed him. Wiz, I think like when you're in college, you have like a ton of time to just look around for music and just, you know, screw around. And I think that was one of those things too. And that's when like Dat Piff was so big. So you could like find new mixtapes through there. And now like mixtapes have just really slowed down. And I really, I've taken a lot of time over the past couple of months to like really go back and appreciate Lil Wayne's catalog and just like, like he, he probably has the most impressive run like out of any rapper ever. Like when it comes to just quality and just crazy bars like Drought 3, Dedication 2, um, you know, no Drought ceilings. <laughs> his output is just so insane. And, you know, like I, I guess it is tough to, you know, to do it at a high level for, for so long, but it just seemed like he had the right, recipe at the time you know whether it be you know drugs uh you know a ghostwriter mixed in every every now and then but man it's just like the stuff that he was able to do is crazy it really is when you think about it bro and uh i just remember back in even like high school like right when we came out of high school like lil wayne any song that he got on it just went crazy and people loved it and his verse like you knew his verse was going to be hot yeah, nuts. no, you're exactly right. Yeah, I'd be at uh, I'd be at one of my track meets, and like kids would just be like rapping the bars back and forth to each other before the track meet. Like the culture, cultural impact that he has, I don't think a lot of kids right now understand how big he was, um, and still is. He's still a great performer. You know, I went and saw him open for Blink One Eighty Two, and you know, he he wiped the floor with them. He absolutely obliterated them. He's he's so good. <laughs> Uh, and even, you know, when I saw him with Drake for the, the Drake versus Lil Wayne tour, I mean, he's just he's he's such a better performer than Drake. Drake got, makes amazing music and his output is crazy and his run is crazy. But I don't think he's as, as good of a performer as, as Lil Wayne is. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's coming to himself lately, uh, for sure. Like, I think his acting skills had a lot to do with, you know, him being able to get in the character and do his thing. But Lil Wayne, you're right, just has that like, I don't know, something different about that dude. But man, it seems like from based on what you're saying, a lot of the ways that you've discovered things, a lot of the ways that you've gotten opportunities were through networking and like, you know, really linking with people and not being afraid to put yourself out there to go after these opportunities, man. How is it that you're just like so open to doing this? Like, have you just always been this type of outgoing dude or, you know, how is it that you're willing to put yourself out there like that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, And like being a, if you want to be successful as a DJ, like the music and your transitions is like just part of it. Like you have to be able to advocate for yourself and, and build and, and bring people out, you know, cause that's, you know, how you're, you're going to get paid, you know, by bars and, and clubs. 
so it's like I, I've had friends over the years who are, you know, killer DJs, but they just didn't have the, the networking piece. And it's a lot of work, man. Like you, you can't, I was talking to my buddy Zach about this. You can't do like two things at a high level. Like you can, but it's like very difficult and it's time consuming, man. So like the high pressure, like sales nine to five and DJing, like on top of it, like you feel like you're burning the candle at both ends sometimes, but it's, uh, I don't know, to me, it's worth it, man. I still enjoy it. And I said, you know, if I don't enjoy it anymore, like I'm not going to do it anymore. And I don't know if I'll be DJing at like 70 or anything like that, but I want to, I want to have like some creative piece, um, going on. Yeah, man. Who knows? You might be like Paul Oakenfold or something like that. Just old as hell. Just still out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, uh, he, it was great to see him at that, um, that wheelhouse festival that, uh, keeping it deep put on, um, you know, back in the day. And, you know, I know you, you and I and a bunch of other friends uh, attended and, yeah, that was that was just so interesting because they were gonna book Calvin Harris for that park, and they would have lost their ass on that if they did because I think he wanted he wanted maybe like four hundred k like half a mil and like EDM just wasn't the the thing that it is now in indie. It was elsewhere in big markets, but here, I mean, indie just takes forever to get on everything. I don't understand that, bro. And we were in this little park. They had Wolfgang Gartner, who's like one of my favorite DJs. His sound is just so unique. They had A-Rab Music, who's, you know, just killing it on the production. You know, he plays the finger drums and stuff. And I could go get a drink and like walk straight back to the front of the stage. Like, you know what I mean? It was just that free in the crowd because there weren't that many people there fucking with it. It's crazy. Yeah, like Flostradamus was at their peak at the time. And I think there were maybe, maybe 150, 200 people there for their set. It was absolutely insane. but. It, it is kind of cool, like selfishly, because then like you get to get close and, you know, get to get to see it, too. So, yeah, man, why do you think indies like that when it comes to music? You know, like I, I think being a smaller city that's in the, the middle of the Midwest um, that doesn't have a ton of people, it doesn't have like all the culture we've been to it that like a Chicago or you know, Miami or in LA does because they're just, you know, known even in New Orleans, man, like they're known for jazz and, you know, Chicago's known for house music and like nobody could, nobody could up and say like what Indy's known for, you know, like pork tenderloins, bro. That's about it, dog. Yeah. Well, well, I, think, I think too, like you have like, you have Indianapolis and then everything outside of Indies is very rural. Right. And so you have a lot of country influence here. Like Nine times out of ten, half of the the lineups at the the big outdoor amphitheaters here are going to be country. So country is just so big. Um, but yeah, I think it's starting to change a little bit. I think it helps too that like Indy's getting some transplants for from other cities that are moving here, uh, and you have just people that are advancing the culture. You know, people like Slater Hogan. You know, people like um, you know Indiana Jones, Ron Ron Miner. May he rest in peace. And you know, just seeing seeing all that is like cool. And you know, hearing you know, like big once and four colors act, you know, just shouting out like in, in their podcast and saying, you know, Indianapolis has some of the best DJs in the country. And I believe that to be true. And I think it all starts at the top with people like, you know, Slater and, and Action Jackson, who, you know, are, are doing this at a high level and have been for a really long time. I agree, man. I think uh, they've got some solid talent there. I think one thing uh, about Indiana and the Midwest in general is people are willing to work hard, man. So you know, DJs seem to just go hard at their craft. 
But at the same time, you have this like this humility, like to you know, a lot of them. Like I remember you just kick it with Slater. Like he you just kick it with Slater, he just hangs out, he's just like, yo, you want to do some shots? And this dude's been all over the world, like doing his thing, man. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's been cool because like he he's always um he's a great networker and he makes friends everywhere he goes, but he also, you know, he's always been, you know, very inclusive of, you know, my friends group. And, um, you know, in, in turn that, that pays off for him too, because, you know, he has, he owns a, a bar now and he has a business around. He wants to keep people in it. And, and if you want to be successful at that, like you got to be personable and honestly you have to be likable. So it's definitely, uh, definitely been cool to like see him put that together because, he, uh, a lot of people don't know this. He had the, the idea. He and, and John Larner had the idea and the concept for um, the basement uh, room. It's called Deluxe at Old National Center, which is a Live Nation venue. And things didn't wind up working out, but that the whole idea and the whole room was like their idea and their concept. So now to see them like actually have ownership of what they're doing uh, creatively, and you know, really like have a vision to you know bring like a voodoo. New Orleans style bar here that plays mainly house music is really, really cool. Yeah, man, that's unique. And uh, I applaud them for that, bro. So talk to me about that whole making friends and being likable piece, man. You mix it up with everybody. Like you're just like out here, you link with my friends when you come to Ohio, you know what I mean? It's all love. It's just like plug and play. They don't like when we they don't like when we come to Ohio because then we're gonna be up till four in the morning and um, <laughs> they they're they're just not not ready for that that type of experience and I don't blame them at all. Uh, but no man, like so when I was in high school, I went to like a very small Christian high school. I grew up in a you know Christian family and uh, I'm not super religious anymore. And I think one of the reasons why is like. I feel like some organized religion excludes people and I want to include people. And that just became something for me. I think that I, you know, learned in college, like, um, I did, I didn't peak in high school. I didn't peak in, in college. Um, so like, I feel like I, I pivoted a little bit and then I met a lot of people through music and even you, man, I, I remember the first night I met you, we were just hanging in a room with a bunch of people like listening to music. And that's sort of how we hit it off first. And yeah, same thing. I can look at like the majority of my best friends. It's like, oh shit, like I, I met them through through DJing, honestly, which is is kind of nuts. And uh, but it's it's provided a lot of opportunity for me there. So that's dope, man. It brings people together, the music, the love, the vibes. Yeah. Uh, who have you been listening to lately, man? Uh I've <laughs> it's terrible, bro. I, I listen to Lemon Pepper Freestyle on repeat. Like that's basically the only song I listen to. Yeah, you and my buddy, you and my buddy Eric, man. He said the he said the same thing. Eric Coach, he said the same thing the other day. He's like, yeah, dude, I've just been listening to Lemon Pepper on repeat. I was like, oh. yeah, Ross yeah. is really good, man. Um, when he gets on the right beat, it's 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 special. I, I was reading a story the other day. One of my favorite verses ever is his verse on "Devil in a New Dress" on Kanye's uh, "Dark Fantasy" album. And I read the other day that he turned his first verse in. Um, and Kanye is like, no, this sucks. Like, record it again. This sucks. And so he did, and like, that's what he he came out with. And just the way that like that album's pieced together is just like insane. Because yeah. you know you have you have Mike Dean who's doing like you know guitar solos and all these crazy synths and stuff. Yeah, Belton John singing background on like all the lights, and you have uh, a lot of a lot of really good a lot of really good music on there. 
he's become Mike Dean's become sort of like the right hand man for Kanye. And he does a lot of Travis Scott's music too. And yeah, I remember um, the last time Kanye was in town, uh, Mike Dean was too, of course, cause he was playing with him. And then he wound up DJing um, at this club afterwards. And Travis Scott was like in the booth and I was cool. And Travis Scott was just on the floor for the Kanye show. Cause it was the one that he had the floating stage and he yeah. was just on the floor, just like, raging with people because it was just like a wide open sea and then like some chick lost her heel and Kanye like stopped the music so she could find it it's just like what a what a quirky dude like all eyes were on indie that weekend because it was the first show of the tour he hadn't played here in forever and you know he had the Kardashian like hype too because you know obviously he and Kim were still together and and all that but you had writers from New York you had writers from Barstool Sports in town to to see it and nobody had any idea what it was going to look like and we get there and yeah i mean there's no stage everybody's like what the hell and then like the lights go down and then he floats out on this stage that's you know attached to floating stage that's attached to the roof and then he is sort of tied to the platform and just wilding out man he's um yeah say, say what you want about him man he definitely definitely has some solid ideas and he's uh I think as of this week, the richest black man in America. And that has come from Yeezys, just the cultural influence of Yeezys and that brand and all the all the damn shoes that they're selling, man. That man was in debt, if I remember, like a couple of years ago. Like, yeah, that's, why, that's why he played indie. He was bankrupt because he was spending way too much money on uh, his clothing line. And he wasn't even able to finish that tour because it didn't sell very well. Uh, and... Yeah, it's just, it's it's sort of crazy to think about. And now he's just, you know, blown up, like, financially, yeah. obviously. So. Yeah, man. And I mean, say what you want, like you said, about who he is as a person. You look back at Through the Wire, you know, 808s and, you know, the graduation, you know, all the shit that he's done. Uh, he's really shaped the culture in a major way, bro. Like, graduation went crazy when we were in school, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I loved it, man. That's like... um yeah, that's that's one of my favorites. And like there was obviously a lot of really cool EDM influence in there. And I found out about Daft Punk through Stronger, right? I didn't know who Daft Punk was. And then like I got into to their catalog. And um, you know, a lot of people I think got into their catalog, at least younger kids like me that way. Um, and yeah, there's some some cool features on there, but there were just like some really, really cool samples and, and ideas. And yeah, it's just it's always funny to to hear him flip a certain sample, you're like, oh, where do I know this from? And yeah. you go back to it. And that's kind of fun too to listen to the original and hear how it was manipulated for for the track. So actually, you know, speaking of that, I heard the girl uh singing on the lemon pepper freestyle, like that they sampled her voice. They sampled it live actually. Like she was singing live, I think on like Instagram or something. Really? And they they sampled her live version of this song that she was gonna put out. And then just wrapped over, and I thought that was dope. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, that was a, that was a big moment for her. I bet she made some some money on that too. So yeah. yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I think like now with like the TikTok era and stuff, like people can really push their music through that if they can really figure out how to do it. Uh, we've got a we've got a friend who's um, an attorney out of North Carolina, and his business is blown up because he just makes all these funny like lawyer TikToks about getting pulled over and you know his client like putting meth in a Gatorade bottle and, and stuff like that like it's it's entertaining and it, it keeps people glued to it and you know then from then from there he's getting like PR and 
getting news interviews and stuff. So, hell yeah, man. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about sampling, bro. I know you've been in your bag, you know, producing. I mean, shit, me and you got a couple of joints together. I can't yeah. wait to drop, you know, more. Um, talk to me about that, man. How have you been uh, getting into that? How have you been enjoying it? Yeah, it's, it's easier now because there's this uh, there's this website called splice.com and it's just like an online sample library. You can go by tempo, you can go by key, uh, you can go by genre. And it really helps like really helps producers because it's like I think it's like eight or nine dollars a month. You just get all access to this crazy sample library and it really enables you to get creative without doing a, a ton of extra work. I, I still think there's like magic about going into a record store and just picking up something random, like, oh, what's on this? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, pull something from this. And I still like doing that. But, you know, especially like when it comes to EDM, like it's a lot more user-friendly to, to hop on there and, and sample. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been using Ableton, you know, I've, I've finally figured out, you know, really how to sequence the right way uh, in Ableton and, and put everything together. And it, it makes sort of, you know, for quicker workflow. So I can finish a track and sometimes like 30 minutes, but sometimes it'll take, you know, five, six hours. So it's a, it's a skill to have. And I think it helps that you were a DJ and, you know, understand, you know, timing and stuff like that. So uh, I think that's dope. It's a lot of fun. And I can't wait to like drop some new shit that we got. What was the one, uh, the make it clap that you sent me, bro. Yeah. I can't wait to go crazy on that. I've got like half the song done. Yeah, it'll be solid, man. Like uh, I, lo- I love that you're still staying on your creative tip too with, you know, everything that's going on in the, the pandemic and obviously everything that's going on in your, your personal life because you dealt with some some big changes, but, you know, you've handled it head on. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I know I don't just speak for myself when, you know, you, you've had like a big impact on a lot of people. Like my mom hit me up the other day. I was like asking, like, how are you doing? And I was like, you know, he's doing as, as good as you could possibly be doing because like I would I would be uh handling it differently and she's like well he should be like a a motivational speaker but like i know that you're already starting to do some of some of that stuff because your story is very powerful and just like sort of what you've been through and you know how you've uh you know bounced back from it and you know just sort of really maintain a positive outlook i think is just really big i appreciate that man i really do it's been you know it's it's been a hell of a change and um i think that's kind of what kicked my ass in the gear a little bit it's like you realize how fragile life is. And it's like, I just got to go out here and do the best that I can every day before this shit is over, dog. You know what I mean? Yep. So, I mean, you talked about that a little bit, man, you know, burning or doing the nine to five, uh, doing the DJ gig, kind of burning the candle at both ends. How do you keep your shit together, man? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just staying organized, man, staying organized and, you know, having a a good calendar and I'm going to start to sync. Like I, I, I like, I like keeping work at work and, personal life and DJing separate, but I, I need to like really sync my work calendar with everything else just um, dialed in there. But yeah, I mean that like, it's important to like get outside and get exercise too, man, just to ma- maintain, um, you know, a healthy mind and, um, you know, really, you know, get out of the house too, you know, cause we've all been glued to the house. Like people are doing more work, you know, working from home than, you know, they ever had before in the office. So that's just like something that I have to remember to get outside. And I just like spending time with, you know, family and friends too, because this has been tough on everybody. You know, it's, it's been interesting. I remember, um, you know, when this was first going down, I think like people like thought it was kind of cute. It's like, oh, this is weird. This is different. You're doing like these Zoom meetings with friends and 
your friend like passes out like during the zoom meeting like from like too many shots that you're like doing virtually and then they're like asleep on the couch like what the hell is this this is it feels like a weird movie it still feels like an alternate universe i i'm still not used to seeing people in masks i'm still not used to wearing a mask uh so yeah i hope i hope maybe by i don't know like july august or even september that you know things start to feel normal again Straight up, bro. I know I know exactly what you mean, because I remember, you know, everyone was hitting each other up when it first started. Like, oh, let's hop on the Zoom. Let's get on this. You know, yeah. they have games on here. Let's hang out. Let's drink. And then by like the third one of those, people are like, yeah, fuck this dog. Like, this is not what it is. No. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird. Like, it's just it's been really nice to, you know, see my friends again in person and get together for, you know, big milestones. Like, you know, when somebody, you know, gets engaged or somebody you know, announces that they're, they're having a baby and stuff like that. Cause it's not the same or almost feels insincere if you're not able to, to celebrate that in person. It does, man. And that's been like a struggle for me, like not only with the pandemic, but it's just kind of hard for me to ride out for things in general, you know? Yeah. yeah it's like, it's things you don't think about, man. It's a classic example would be, um, Dutch wedding, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, Oh, we're like going downstairs and it's like things that you take for granted. It's like, then you have to take, you know, an extra three or four minutes, you got to get the elevator, like somebody has to like push you. It's like things that you don't think about. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's something that, you know, you think about and, you know, you're, you're mindful of now, but um, what's nice is man, like you're, you still have like your wits about you and, you know, you're still, you're still the same dude. It's just like in a, in a different form. So. That's true, man. And I'm glad for it. Cause I saw uh, some people with like brain injuries and stuff when I was in the hospital and uh, it's just weird to see people like that, man. You know, it's like unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you've always been a, you've always been a bright dude and, you know, obviously you still, uh, you know, mean a, mean a lot to so many people, man. So to see you kind of like taking like some really like weak shit that happened to you and like turning it into strength has, has been cool because I, for me, like it's been, as your friend, it's been extremely tough for me to understand. Uh, but I feel like, you know, kind of like we covered, man, like, if you try to find like the understanding or like the meaning behind it, you're just going to drive yourself nuts. Um, so like, you know, it's, it's the whole thing is, is just crazy, but yeah, you're, you're handling it well. And um, man, I'm just, I'm happy for you. And you got a, you got a hell of a wife too. Hey, she's an angel. She's a superhero. Yeah. It's, it's nuts, man. But hey, you're my boy. And it's, it's great to hear that. And uh, you know, I think a side effect of this is that it's allowed me to uh, kind of break through the, the layers a little bit with people and get real with them a little bit more, man. And, um, you know, just speak on how much I appreciate people in our relationship and stuff. And I, I appreciate you, man. Like you've been a person who's consistently reached out to me. Uh, you know, we catch up, we still create together. It's still, yeah. you know, all love. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that too, man. Cause I, my sister always asked about, you know, I was talking to my sister about it and she's like, they say when something traumatic like this happens, you're going to have the initial wave of outreach and just unwavering support. And then people will just drop like flies and just like fall off. And I'm sure you've witnessed that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's important, you know, cause like on the, on the flip side, you know, you would do the same for, you know, any, any one of us, you know, if it, if it happened uh, to us, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you're, uh, you know, getting, getting dialed into like, you know, what you're good at, but also at the same time, like, I'm sure you have like certain like songs and like music that you listen to to like kind of help you through it too. 
Yeah, straight up, man. Uh, that Mike Posner album, uh, the joint that he made when he's walking across the U.S., yeah. um, that that really got me through, you know, some hard times, man. Because, I mean, he made it as like his affirmations to himself, you know? Um, yeah, he uh, he's an interesting guy, man. And I know he struggled a lot with mental health. Uh, he was not comfortable being famous at all. And he's like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. It's fake and all that. And I don't think he, he really wanted to live in LA and yeah, to, to see him like do the walk across the country thing was cool. And, uh, yeah, he's super talented, man. He's, he does a lot as like a, a writer too. So he wrote, he wrote sugar for Maroon 5 and he makes a lot of money behind the scenes doing that. I, I just don't think he was comfortable with like how famous he got so quickly after Cooler Than Me dropped. Yeah, because I mean, we were we were at Butler, I think, when all that like went down. And yep. did he come through? I don't I don't know if I remember that correctly or not. Um, so he yeah, he played Old National Center and it was technically a Butler show, or they were calling it a Butler show, and um he played Old National Center after that album dropped, and it was pretty busy. He's he's done well here over the years, but I think he just kind of wants to to be in the background and is just, you know, sort of over being the, the star, I guess. Yeah. yeah straight up, man. Yep. Well, bro, um, we're getting pretty close to the end. And uh, yep. one thing that I like to finish with is if you had the ears, eyes, and attention of everybody in the world and you could deliver a message, what message would you deliver to the people? Keep going. Yeah. Like your boy, uh, you know, Mike Posner said, man, like with this, this whole pandemic thing has been unprecedented and there's no, uh, you know, rule book for it. You know, we, a lot of us haven't really known how to fully navigate it and, you know, keep going and like, don't beat yourself up over, you know, mistakes that you're making and, you know, an unprecedented time. I think that's like something that I have to remember, but like also, just really like if you if you have a passion, like hold on to that. Like you got to do what you got to do to pay bills, right? Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, hold on to your passion and you know deliver what you can, you know, on what you're good at. That's real, man. It's like once you realize that you know there's a necessary growth process that you have to mm -hmm. go through that requires those mistakes, requires that you know growing pain. It's like you'll be alright with it. Yeah, most definitely. Well, yeah, dude. Thanks so much for having me, man. Uh, Always, uh, always good shooting the shit with you, uh, music wise, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. For sure, man. Hey, what are what are the ads? What are the socials so people can follow you, check out your music, and what you do? Yeah, so at DJ Nicholas N I C O L A S Rage R A G E uh, on pretty much everything. So that's on uh, SoundCloud, that's on Instagram, and then my Mixcloud where I put the majority of like my live mixes that I post up. It's mixcloud.com slash Nicholas Rage. So, yeah. So, if you get the time, you know, check those out. But um, thanks for having me, man. Great combo. And uh, and hope to see you soon. Hey, straight up, man. I appreciate it. Dope-ass combo. Talk yeah. to you soon. Take it easy, man. Yep, you too. Bye.